boys and girls, it's time for Development Hell. Woohoo! Woo! Epi- episode number 10, or episode number 2 in binary, if you like to count that way. So, uh, yes, we made it to our 10th episode. Our sponsor hasn't uh, dumped us yet. So, uh, I'm stuck again in a hotel room in La Crosse, Wisconsin for yet another uh, a tour of duty uh, with Kaplan Professional. So, on this end, it's uh, Chris Harchis. And at the other end of the Skype connection, I actually have a decent headset this time, is uh, Ed Funkatron Finkler. Say hi to the internet, Ed. Hello, internet. So, episode 10. So, that's like that's almost like a commitment now, wouldn't you say, Ed? Yeah, we've done 10 episodes. So, I think that's kind of a good, like a pretty decent number to get into double digits. That's right. What, what what we have to find is what whatever the highest number that Cal has ever done because he tends to abandon uh, abandon um, a podcast like I used to abandon frameworks. Yeah, so, right. yeah. uh, so we got to find what's the highest number he ever got to. Zing. So, yeah, yeah. Zing. Oh snap! There he went. So <laughs> yeah. uh, so first of all, let's not forget our wonderful sponsor, the fine folks at Engine Yard. I wish I could get some echo on that when I say fine purveyors of uh, platform of a service. Take your PHP shit, stick it in a container, and boom, up it goes into Orchestra and Engine Yard's uh, awesome scalable architecture. If you don't want to be bothered doing any uh, system in work like most of us lazy-ass developers, Engine Yard and its uh, platform as a service offerings are an awesome way to take care of that part. Yes, they are. So, uh, big relaunch at Gimme Bar, huh, Ed? Yeah, so we, uh, it, it's like the version we pushed out um, last week um, was like what we were working on the past three or four months, I guess. Was it? And uh, it's interesting because it's almost entirely, I think we wrote, rewrote almost the whole thing. Um, so, but. Uh, from a user standpoint, I don't think you notice a lot of difference ex- because we essentially wrote the same application but rewrote and it. And of course, Ed, I, of course, Ed, I have to ask my standard question about Gimme Bar. Did you guys fix searching by tags? Uh, I think we did. All right. Well, in the interest of not causing a fist fight or the virtual equivalent of a fist fight, I will look at that after we're done recording. Yeah, that's probably for the best. But uh, <laughs> that, that actually, I think, might have gotten fixed. And if it doesn't, I think we're in a better position to actually address it. Now, so. That's cool, because uh, honestly, in all seriousness, that's the only feature that's been missing from Gimme Bar, because I was uh, grabbing a lot of stuff and uh, assigning tags to it, right. and I just wasn't able to retrieve stuff on searching by tag. So hopefully it's, it's fixed. If not, then I will um, uh, not so politely remind you uh, that that I would like it fixed. Yes, you should. Uh, because we have tags, so why don't we actually use them? So I know the data is all stored, uh, and it should work. So, uh, yeah. I know a, lo- a bunch of stuff improved. Like, we fixed a bunch of little quirky things with, like, if you went to a collection, like, if you filter by a collection and then tried to filter by type, it didn't really work before. Right. Like, it would right. just freak out and not, you know... A bunch of that stuff is works a lot better, and it's also like ten times faster too. So, well, that's good. So, uh, so let's move on since I don't want to talk about Gimme Bar um, anymore. Uh, so, um, you are going to be talking at Oink Pug. Why don't you tell the folks a little bit about that when that's coming up and where you're going to be talking? Oh yeah, so Oink Pug, which is the Ohio, Indiana, Northern Kentucky PHP Users Group, um, and they meet in Cincinnati. And so Thursday night, which is, I think, the 19th. Am I right about that? I think uh, that's, that's the 19th. That sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to be there at their uh, at the meetup there um, to uh, talk about, like, micro PHP junk and whatever that crap means that I made up and promptly <laughs> forgot about after a week. Um, the, ma- the made up manifesto. That's yeah, right, yeah, right, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> that I was excited about it till I got bored with it. Um, <laughs> no, um, so that, uh, so yeah, so, and, um, you know, Elizabeth Naramore, who is, uh, computed, computed, Jesus, Christ. <laughs> uh, you can tell. Shout out to Elizabeth. What's up, bitches? Yay. Cause I know that's always her catchphrase. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, so she, uh, and she does, you know, she's at engine yard and, um, so she, got me to come and do this and uh so it's things should be pretty cool uh so yeah like if you're kind of near the area that'd be awesome if you're there uh, do they uh do oink pug charge for their meetings not much no. if anything i i don't think so i think they're pretty open so 
we'll put a link in the uh in the copious show notes yeah i'm now i'm trying to i probably could find it like i i'm i post about it on twitter but now I, I yeah, that's okay we'll put it in the notes right hey i think i found it so <laughs> anyway uh yeah so it's uh so i'm i'm kind of excited about that i think it should be cool um yeah. that is that is cool and so a reminder to all our listeners as well uh that it looks like both of us are going to be appearing at uh php tech this year so for sure we're going to be doing a recording of uh dev hell when we're there and we'll be doing one live with alcohol and god knows what the hell is going to happen ed <laughs> yeah i know uh that should be interesting um yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. I'm actually really, it's, I'm really glad you're able to come. That'll be cool. Me too, bro. Me too. Okay, so that also gets on the topic because we're trying to. For those who don't know, we're trying to rush to this podcast because Ed has requested that uh, we try to get this done in a sane amount of time. I'm so the other sleepy. thing we, well, I mean, you're tired, and I, I understand. Sad. You don't have the boundless energy that the grumpy programmer has. I know. You know. You know. I can tell. I'm getting older. Because, um, but I'm already older than you, so yeah, I know. But I, you catch up to me, Elliot. So maybe you can tell me if this is normal or not. That it's uh, it's totally normal, except the impotent, yeah, being impotent. That's not normal, Ed. Yeah, right. No, that's totally weird. There's something wrong with you as a man. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So whiskey, whiskey web is another thing we were asked to uh, talk about. So whiskey web is whiskey web was, if I remember correctly, the timeline was there was going to be this really cool. Uh, open source web conference in Edinburgh, Scotland that fell through because of some bullshit with PayPal holding on to all the money that these guys were c- collecting. So right. uh, our, our favorite hard to pronounce person, Joaz, Joaz, I'm so sorry for butchering your name, but he uh, said, you know what? I can step in and run a conference in the same spot. So it's Whiskey Web, and it's going to be in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, we will put the actual dates in the show notes. I believe it's in the middle of April. 12th, 13th, 14th sticks in my head for some reason of so April. It says 13th and 14th. I actually got it in front All right, of so, me. So it's, I guess it starts, uh, in, uh, starts on Friday, Friday the 13th. Excellent day to start it. I'm sure it Excellent. won't be uh, – I can picture like a, a conference room on fire with like – Ghosts floating above it, and a guy people. in a hockey mask with a machete. That'd be awesome. Checking everybody's tickets. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So yeah, there's a lot of. It looks like um, okay. From looking at these speakers, looks like a lot of uh, white dudes. Basically, <laughs> no. Um, it, it's uh, uh, let's see. Derek Rethens, uh, we know Derek, of course. It's Rathens. Oh, don't say Rethens. It's Rathens. Derek Rathens. Then why is there an E? Dude, it's Dutch. What the. F- I know uh, you're American and you have a problem with non-American words. There's Derek. Uh, let's see, Derek. Let's just say Derek is speaking. Uh, Josh, eight-time eight Derek. You're right. Uh, Josh Holmes from Microsoft, who's a really cool guy. Awesome, dude. Um, I think uh, he's one of the keynotes, and then David Zulke is the other keynote. Um, what is the Germans? Yeah, one time he said it was too stupid to understand Symphony. I think. Um, well, he's, to be fair, he's probably right. Yeah, no, he is right. I never have. That was basically I just can't understand it. Um, and then um, yeah, some other. We love dudes. you, David. Yeah, uh, but it looks like a real good lineup. Um, and uh, I think Engineard is giving some money for this to make this help make this happen. So cool. Oh yeah, they're the gold sponsor. So then they they got some <laughs> other folks. So yeah, uh, that little detail, they're just the gold sponsor. So like, so yeah. So yeah. if if you're in, if you're, I mean, if you're in the, what this sound dumb in the Scotland area? <laughs> yeah, just to swing on by. Swing on by. Well, you know, I'm sure they would love to see you. There's probably maybe one person in that area who might listen yeah, to this. So. You. It uh, sounds like a great conference. Oh, I like your accent. It's much better than I can do. Great. It's a great day. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, so that's enough about Whiskey Web because we're not going, so I don't give a shit. Yeah, so let's go okay. on to the next topic. So this is a topic that I said um, on Twitter that I didn't really want to talk about, but we can talk about it really quick. It was okay. that bullshit php is a fractal design uh, that made it on the top of hacker news and as usual the uh, shit flinging rubius and pythonistas showed up to say yeah man php sucks too so i want to really go over this quick because we talked about it um before we started recording that my thing is like if you write stupid shit about php saying how it sucks and all these inconsistencies the thing i have i have to say to you is that don't you think we know that already and can we just move past uh like we know, we know PHP has problems. We know there's inconsistency in the uh, in parameters. We know that the object model has been hacked together over time. We know that it's easy to write spaghetti code. But you know what? When you uh, 
I would hazard a guess, and maybe you can we can talk about this a little bit. I think that if you look at intermediate level uh, PHP developers, and by intermediate, I would say that someone who's had four to five years experience with PHP, that they are probably more effective with more la- more programming languages than the shit-flinging Rubyists who like to dump, uh, take a dump all over PHP. Simply because to write good PHP takes a lot more discipline than to write good Ruby. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. It might be. I, I man, I, it, I don't know how you measure that. I, I, I think that... I mean, I think the the cool thing about PHP is that it has a an its stack um, lets you do a heck of a lot um, and do uh, that without necessarily uh, having this the, a really strong background or maybe necessarily having. Um, you know all the certain tools in place or whatever. Just like for building websites, it is it it lets you build it really fast and effectively, and it's really powerful. And it's yeah, it's really really messy. Yes, that is absolutely the case. Um, and anyone who pays attention to what I talk about will know that I'm I find that real. It's really frustrating, and I and I guess for me, it's one thing that it's frustrating that it's messy, but I guess the other thing that bothers me is that it's I. I think there's a sort of another issue that you, to get into with uh, like where the project is going. And I think that, you know, PHP as a project, you know, is kind of going and that, that, that sort of bugs me a bit. Um, but uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know. How, how do you measure that? But I, I think that, I think it's easier to do and it's simpler to do a whole lot of tasks in PHP than it is in most other technology stacks. Yeah, because if you look at it from this point of view, too, I think that PHP developers are far far more likely experienced PHP guys. I have to always preface it that by saying experience are far more likely to say, oh, I'll incorporate that tool and that tool and that tool because really, like I've tried to get across to people, PHP is glue. And once you start treating it as glue, um, it really changes your uh, perspective on how to get stuff done. So we're far more likely to say, I'll use, we'll have PHP in there, but we'll also have some Java stuff and some Python stuff and some Ruby stuff. It's like whatever it takes, to get the job done, we're not going to look at this and say, oh, I, can, I only want pure Ruby solutions. I only want pure Python solutions. Yeah, a, good guy to have, yeah. a good guy to have about this on sometimes, I'm sure we can convince him to come on, is, um, is your new co-worker, Joel, who has, uh, I think, is uh, him or Travis Swicegood, one of those two guys, is, I think, uniquely positioned to talk a bit about their transition from doing PHP stuff to doing Python, um, because both those dudes have done a lot of uh, Python work. So, yeah. uh, so to, to try to whip through this part, it's like because I really don't want to talk about because I really find this topic boring. It's like, yeah, asshole. We know that PHP has problems. So why don't you go fuck yourself and go work with your own tools? And you seem to be spending a lot of time being worried about what PHP is doing. Worry about your own shit and go build your own stuff. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of a childish thing to I, I to spend much time on. I'm not. Like if you really don't like it, I'm not sure what. I you know I'm not sure what you're saying that a lot of other people haven't said about it. So I'm not sure what you accomplish other than getting a bunch of ego points. You know what I mean? Which I guess is pretty much what Hacker News is for. But yes, sadly, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I just don't. I don't see a great necessarily great benefit to it. I mean, I'll I'll straight up tell people that. If they ask me, like, well, what technology should, like, somebody asked me the other day, I have, you know, they hadn't been doing web development in, in probably several years and kind of thinking about looking at it again. And I, they were Java like, script. Yeah. I said the, the, like, the highest, like, uh, <laughs> I guess you'd say, like, the thing that would be, that would gain you the most to learn is JavaScript. Yes. Um, yes. That, you know, so, and then, I mean, the other thing is if people ask me, like, well, I want to learn how to do programming, just period, I want to, you know, I always, I almost always tell them Python as a first programming language. Well, um, I don't think you can go too wrong given newbie programmers saying if you want to do a server-side scripting one, that Python's a pretty good choice. Yeah, um, but uh, it's not like PHP is a bad choice for a lot of things, and you get a lot of shit done with it. So, so for that, it works really well. I think that you know, there was a there was a good reminder somebody threw out there where it was like, uh, you know, users 
Um, and when I'm talking about users here, I'm talking about end users. I'm not talking about. Yeah, they like, don't care what you built your site. They don't give a shit. Nobody gives no, a they, shit to get it done or not get it done. And I some a very small percentage who are probably only fellow programmers will care what the site's built in. Right. And I guess I'll say I, I think that you know there's sort of a. Uh, I think that PHP, because of the nature of its technology stack, and that's not just the language, that's all the things related to it, and it's, its ubiquity and its accessibility enables and empowers a whole ton of people to build stuff, uh, to build to build uh, web stuff who would normally not be able to do it. And I don't, that's right, I, and and, yeah. and enables them to get paid and make it rain. That's right, how it is, bro. And I just don't, I don't think that they would be able to do it in other stacks that are out there right now. That doesn't mean they're bad, <laughs> right? It doesn't mean it, it, it and, but um, it's, I think that's just the way it is. And I generally don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's, you know, anything that they're doing is a, is an end of the world kind of thing. I don't think PHP somehow makes shit worse. Uh, no, not really. No. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't, it, it really doesn't, it's, it matters, uh, not that much. Yeah, I think, so I, you know, I, 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 the one, I think, you know, six or seven years ago, there were issues with PHP's environment, that, like security wise, that I think have really been addressed pretty well. Um, and, uh, you know, so the out of the box experience is a lot better now with like, say five, three or something that it was, than it was with like, say four, one, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I can agree with you there. So I, I mean, back then, I maybe you could almost make that argument, but I think people weren't thinking about that stuff so much. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, I don't know, it's interesting. And it, this isn't the order we have it in the notes, but I think it segues a little bit. We're talking about, especially like security stuff, you know, um, and we mentioned JavaScript too. It's, it's, there's this new. Yeah. Oh tech, yeah. You want to talk like, about Meteor? Yeah. There's this new, okay. uh, uh, interesting um, web application stack called Meteor JS. Yeah, and, so I can yeah so go I can ahead because you looked I'll at it more than I because, have. Yeah, I did look at it. So so basically, it looks to me that what Meteor JS is a combination of code that sits on the client, so meaning the browser, and then you have a server side uh, code that runs on top of Node.js. Now they provide their own kind of hosted environment from the screencast, right? But uh, it runs on top of Node, so you could deploy it yourself, uh, run on Node. So it's a re- I think what it is, it's an attempt to uh, create, I guess, what you could describe as the rails of Node, in that uh, a platform allowing you to quickly uh, put together a web-based app with Node as the back end and JavaScript as the front end. And the, yeah. the, the cool thing about the technology is that everything's set up to be synchronized. So... And so here's the thing that gets weird. So I watched the screencast, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. You can pop open a, a console on the web in JavaScript and you can type in some commands using, um, using Meteor's own library and you can like insert shit into Mongo. Cause that's their, that's their, their I guess what you want to call a reference right. thing that they're using as the data store. So you could actually with commands in JavaScript, inject data into your application. Now, right. you know, the first thing I saw, I thought first thought was that's cool. And second thought was that's fucking insane because what they have right now is what they're calling a technology preview. And they've been, and they were called out repeatedly on Twitter and hacker news about where's the authentication. There's no way I'm going to allow this application to, to live anywhere on the internet when people can just with no permissions, just stuff data uh, into Mongo. And, and it was cool to watch them during their uh, nicely scripted uh, screencast where like, oh, yeah, check this out. We make this little web app, and it automatically syncs between all instances that are running it. If I change this shit, it automatically shows up. And right. that is cool, and that's right. kind of a combination of like – I think Backbone and, and Knockout do some of that sort of stuff already where results will bubble back up uh, to the web app when they change on the server side. And I agree. It's a really cool thing, but here's the thing that, that uh, really uh, – to use a nice old antiquated thing stuck in my craw was that for all the bleeding and carrying on about how PHP is insecure out of the box. Yeah. What do you motherfuckers have to say? The JavaScript guys have to say about a technology preview without any authentication baked into it. I would love to hear, to hear the backpedaling 
and the justification, because all they've said is, well, dude, it's a technology preview. It's like, you dumb motherfuckers. You really want to show people this thing and tell them, oh, yeah, as for the security thing, oh, don't worry about it, brah, we're going to bake it in later. It's like, no, man. It's like, I'm not touching that thing until there's authentication. And then this also brings around to another thing. It's licensed under the GPL. Right. And I had a very lively discussion with some people on Twitter lively. about all this, right? And so – the thing is, it looks like from our quick little research, and we must preface this by saying that we're not lawyers and we're not copyright experts, but it looks like it's the uh, GPL version 2 license, which means that if you take this thing and you build a service with it and you do not distribute your application to anybody else, it just runs as a hosted service, you will not be forced to share all the code that you've written with it. Yeah, because it's V two. I think I, under V three, I believe that's not the case. So, and that so that obvious. I think that had to have been a choice on their part so that people could could build that. I it. I mean, so but it does mean that if you if you say build a, I don't know, you build a ticket tracker, you want to be self hosted or something like that, or some other host, you know, self hosted web application. Then I believe the typical interpretation of GPL. Uh, in this environment, this scenario is that uh, you would have to distribute that application also as GPL v2. Yes, case. that's right. The, the whole thing would be, and you would have to make the source code available to anybody that wanted. So, so yeah. in that respect, it looks like okay. Just the, a lot of people have problems with the GPL, and I think it's mainly because they want to be able to take somebody else's shit and just carve it up and use it whatever they want. And I understand right. that. But I look at it in terms of – I remember Zed Shaw, who you might have heard of. Yes. Um, uh, oh, I love Zed Shaw, um, who talked about his decision to license newer things that he's been doing under the GPL because what it means is that he gets to have a say over what happens to the tools that he produces. So he can say, right. like, I'll give it to you for free, but there are some conditions. And if you change anything, I want you to pass those changes on. And I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a, a fair thing. And I argued with um, Vance Lucas – on Twitter about this, where he was complaining about Meteor being licensed GPL. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, I said, I lack the willpower to argue about this on Twitter. So, <laughs> I, will, so I will say this. You don't like the license? Don't fucking use it. But don't, well, com- yeah. but, don't com- but don't complain about their choice of using the GPL. In fact, why don't you go – I'm pretty sure that you could probably go and implement your own version of this thing if you really wanted it to, and then license it under – um, uh, BSD or MIT, and I find this interesting too that the guys who've done it are seem to be some MIT guys or, or some guys with some associations with MIT. So it's kind of funny. Oh, right. that they, yeah, so it's kind of some of them seem to have a loose affiliation, having gone there or have, uh, like I saw on the about thing, like one of the guys, typical brilliant programmer guy, but dropped out after four months at, at MIT. So right. it's like one of these things where like I'm kind of surprised that they didn't do it at MIT, but my I suspect. That I mean, I think the technology is really cool, and once they get the authentication thing under control, that some random fucknut can't open up a JavaScript console and insert data into your database. Um, when they get that resolved, then that'll be a really cool piece of technology. And they want to GPL it, so they're like, if you make any cool changes uh, and you want to share those changes, that the code changes that you made. You're going to have to give those things back to the community. So for that, I will say my hats are off to the Meteor guys for showing showing some uh, showing some balls and saying we're going to do this under a license that will force people to give their contributions to the community. Yeah, that doesn't it doesn't really you know, and they they express something in there that you know they're open to talking about you know commercial licensing if you need it. I I suspect that in most cases it's going to work out fine. For, oh, for yeah, most they'll, have, they'll, they'll, so. they'll sell commercial licenses to people. So sure. it'll be fine. I, I got a few th- thoughts I had about it. I guess the first thing is that it's it's an interesting technology because it, I believe that it's a little different than what you would do with, um, say, with something like Backbone or Knockout right now because um, I believe you trigger there's there it's it's automatically like um, say triggering server side actions yes um and uh that happens without very much like tying things together like uh, without much work on part of the developer yeah the the yeah the site seems to say there's also some protocol that they've come up with that they're calling right. uh, D- ddp and being an old wrestling fan all i can think of is diamond dallas page yeah that's exactly right that's another that's I, another problem i think it's named after him but the uh <laughs> the second thing is that I, I mean this isn't the first time i've seen this this was 
Uh, there's an old technology Jaxer that I believe the Accelerator guys did. That was okay. like this goes. So this goes back a few years. That was very similar. All right. Um, and there has been a couple other things like this where um, it was clearly that it was sort of like you, you had this observable kind of thing that was happening where I, uh, you know, again, like you click a button and it basically audit like the. The, the framework would automatically bind things to trigger server-side events or, or vice versa. I have a server-side event automatically triggering a client-side thing. And and the it's it's not like you can't write something like that yourself, like by hand. It's just that this sort of takes care of that for you, right? It's the same way that's the difference between, you know, Backbone or Knockout can automatically say re-render pieces of the dom for you based on an action i mean you could write that just by hand in jquery it's just it saves you writing a bunch of the same event you know handling crap all the time right so and doing all that stuff you know by hand um so i think it looks pretty interesting i think the fact that um you yeah it's a technology preview but there's no way i would have shipped anything it didn't have at least a basic um, authentication system in place. And I understand why they didn't, because authentication is by far one of the hardest things to solve um, to do it to, to do it correctly and to do it in a way that you could um, that you could apply it to lots of different scenarios because authentication is a really you know big, thing to talk about and and this and that idea of tracking if a user is authenticated and then um tracking that back to the server where it's going all the way into your database and inserting data or pulling data out or stuff like that and how do you keep a couple things from happening how do you keep like a csrf thing from happening where you have a user or you have some malicious website that starts triggering you know, actions for you on, you know, the, the site that's, say, running a Meteor app, right? Or um, or any other web app, for that matter, right? That's why you have CSRF tokens and, and stuff like that, nonces, to, to track that kind of stuff. So that, to make it extremely difficult to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, what's the, you know, we so we sort of ran into this with the new Gimme Bar release, because we went with a model that's you know, vaguely similar in that we have a um, a pretty thick um, browser side aspect so that basically all the UI stuff is happening within the browser itself. We're you know we're serving up templates and so the the the. Um, so it kicks off where you've just got there's a, an application a PHP a small PHP app written in Slim, uh, the the Slim framework, and um, that serves up like a shell of HTML and um, you know a bunch of concatenated JavaScript stuff which has templates in it and libraries and junk like that, right? And and also it does some initial like injecting of data um, as JS into a script tag so that you don't have to do this, you know, so that initially you don't have, it, it has that data available to bootstrap you as opposed to having to start the application and then make a request back to get data. And then you can actually start showing things to the user. Right. So it, it kicks things off faster. So, but other than that, the primary thing that slim application does is track sessions and CSERF stuff. And then um, for the sake of, uh, pro- and then proxy uh, API requests, right? Oh, okay. So, so the slim stuff just acts at, for the most part, for like say ninety five percent of the actions, just acts as a proxy that makes sure that you're actually logged in and that the CSRF nonce matches, and then l- allows the um, application to make requests back to the our API, right? Um, right. So it just acts as a proxy for that, basically. Now, there's some stuff you can't do that way uh, because I think it's too dangerous. Interestingly, one of those things is making users. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how you, um, in a Meteor application, how you write it like that and allow allow people to provision users to create users 
and keep it from getting spammed so that somebody can't just write some client side thing that now makes them like 10,000 accounts. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think it's clear that they are working on the authentication thing because they do mention it, but right. I, I'm with, I'm with you on this one. It should be very interesting to see how they, how they it's, handle it's a con- Well, and, and I guess, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going in a roundabout way back to this, but the point is, I wouldn't have shipped something that didn't have this in there. I didn't have some base model in it because, honestly, I'm not. I I can, I have a lot of. I have a lot of difficulty coming up with a with a. I guess I can think of a few things, but how many web applications am I going to be able to come up with that don't have that don't require any kind of authentication? Very few, <laughs> you know. Um, especially something that's supposed to be a complex you know, client and server interaction thing. Yeah, and also in this case, too, it's not so much that it's user authentication. It's more like making sure people can't inject data into your application that you don't want to be there. Well, yeah, because under this technology, I guess it's a technology preview, but I don't know what kind of... I, I just consider that a really basic thing, and it sort of bothers me a little bit from the principle of this, or, or, or in this sense, I should say, that the principle of security as a first level concern or as a first right. order concern, as opposed to something you do afterwards, it, it, they, well, you know what, what they did was they shipped something with that basically, as far as I can tell, without much security at all. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it is cool. Right? Cause you can like see them in the, uh, in the screencast, dude has the one window open and he's typing in JavaScript console. And then the website is updating and it has data in it now. Right. And that is really cool. I really yep. like what they've done here. And I really think that they're on something. And I also was talked about this very briefly on Twitter that really, I think that um, I picked a good time to get, uh, to try to get acquainted with node because mm-hmm. it's now node is now at the point where people are trying to build tools that sit on top of node that lets you quickly build uh, useful web applications. Yeah. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to piss on these guys too much. I just think that, I, I mean, I think it's a cool technology. I think if they do a good job of creating a quality um, environment for developers and, or I should say a community for developers, you know, I think it sounds like it, it could do really well. Uh, I just think that, you know, there. I I would I disagree with some of the the priority they're putting on some of this stuff here, particularly when it comes down to authorization, authentication, and other security aspects. Yeah. Okay. Technology preview, sure, but man, they should have done the authentication. Yeah. Done this. I, I might. I might right call from the beginning. I might call this more of like a proof of concept, and the I don't know the level at which they're kind of pushing this. This. I I think they should have had something in the, in place already. This this feels premature. To, I wouldn't have rolled it out like that, but you know, all right, whatever, you know. whatever, bro. Whatever, man. Floats your boat. All right. So the next thing we, then we wanted to talk about, since we had enough of this, so um, oh yeah, we talked about the GPL stuff. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about our next thing on the list here, where we talked about uh, our article that appeared today in um, one of the venture capitalist uh, puff. Uh, websites about a guy talking about why a remote workforce is bad for startups. Oh yeah. So, so some guy who I've never heard of who has started, let's see what it, here. Okay. Here's the guy who wrote this article. Okay. Shane Mack. And I'm going to read this cause I like doing shit like this. So Shane Mack is the director of product at Zarly and that's Zarly with two A's kids. He's the founder. Zarly. Zarly. So he's the founder of Hello There, which I've never heard of, and previously spearheaded marketing for Seattle-based uh, Gist or Gist, which what? I've never heard of except in the context, which which was sold to BlackBerry. Oh my God, Rim bought them, so they must be totally shit. <laughs> so so Shane is also an author, a professional musician, voted best wedding band in two thousand and nine, and is obsessed with creating technology that can connect people and change the world for the better. So in other words, that tells me absolutely nothing about who this fuckhead is. So yeah. let's let's get in. To the the meat, he has this article: seven reasons about why, if you're a startup, you don't want people to be remote. So I am fully prepared for a takedown of 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 at least six of these seven points, and we can discuss my feelings on the seventh. So sure. let's let's go through these. Then. So the first, and oh yes, we will provide be providing a link to this in the notes. So the first thing is his first reason why everybody needs to be there in the office. And before I get into that, I want to talk about this how. Uh, what I really think this 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 is really about that this is about control freaks 
and people who are still stuck in the um, command and control sty- uh, style of leadership. The idea that if there aren't asses in the seats, nobody is getting worked on. And if I cannot see everybody who is working for me, mm-hmm. then they must be screwing around. This is the same thing that people were were getting on my case because I talked about on Twitter today that um, I missed my buddies on um, the PHPIO channel on Freenode right. because in Kaplan's corporate network, um, they've blocked down any ports um, other than port 80, I think. Uh, and so I can't SSH out to other servers. I can't connect to my IRC bouncer that lets me uh, uh, talk to my friends on IRC. And we can, people can debate and say it's about trust. And I'm like, whatever, I'm only here for three weeks. So I can cope with only talking to these people via other channels. So mm-hmm. uh, so this is about a, a control and a trust thing. So his, first, so his first thing is decisions happen on the fly. So the first excuse is that Startups are always making decisions quickly, so the only way that quick decisions can happen is if everybody's in the same room together. So, And he goes on a little bit more about this. The time it takes to set up a meeting, receive an email response, or even convey the correct message is insurmountable when in a hurry. So, okay, bro, you and I have both worked for multiple mm-hmm. startups. Yep. Okay, I can tell you that um, a good idea is a good idea, whether everybody's in the same room together or the people who need to discuss it are not in the same room. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of hearing this. I'm tired of, perhaps I have a vested interest in this, but I'm tired of hearing about good things can only happen if everybody is in the same place. I mean, I just, Ed, it's like what? It's the second year of the second decade of the 21st century. The tools exist for people to effectively communicate in real time, not using just text. There's, I, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Why, I, these I, people, why are they fighting? Why are they just fighting? They act like, oh no, bro, everyone's got to be here in the office. Like, why? You want to pay? You want to pay for real estate? You like making somebody else rich to, so you can have office space? Like, I, I don't get it. How that because decisions have to be quickly made. They can only be made if everybody's in the same room. Yeah. I. Well. I. I mean. Yeah. I think. It, I think there's f- more fundamental issues with, with this article. I. But to, to to deal with this thing specifically, uh, and like all of this, I think the things are. Yes, it applies in some situations that certain kinds of decisions maybe are made faster in certain kinds of environments and in certain kinds of businesses and certain kinds of director when you uh, are in person, uh, and it depends a lot on the people involved. Um, in my experience, in, particularly in the startup I'm in now, I don't pre- believe that is particularly an issue. I have never felt that, oh, things drug on or decisions, we had to wait a long time to hear from person X or whatever. My experience, in fact, has been that um, decisions get made a lot faster <laughs> uh, in uh, in the environment I'm in now. And, the, and in the two in the, in the couple of years I've been working in remote startups have happened quite a bit faster than they have. And I think that has more to do with the size of the organization than it has to do with uh, whether somebody is working remote or not. Uh, and now, admittedly, the things I've been in, it's been, uh, and I think we've talked about this before, uh, everybody's remote, like all the stuff that I've been doing. And I think yep. that sort of, I think that sort of makes a difference because then everybody's on the same page. Now, if you're a dude who's like, well, we've got some people who are remote and some not, uh, I think that it gets problematic because I think that people don't. Then people are kind of like, oh, do I really have to, you know, turn on my video camera to talk, so, you know, or whatever. I, I think that it, I think people don't make the same kind of investment in it sometimes. And that's kind of problematic. But but I, I don't know. I, I just haven't experienced that. I have an experience where stuff happened too slow because of this i we've been able to snap and you know with a fairly large group of people you know six or seven people and now we've grown you know a bit larger um i don't think that's really been a particular issue 
Uh, yeah, but, I mean, decisions happen on the flight. Dude, they can happen uh, between people typing on IRC or people talking we, on um, Skype as well. I've got, so I think, we just pick up so, a phone and call somebody. Yeah, Everybody's got their own so, phone so, now. So this, much, so, so this much is horseshit. So I think we can say that. I, I don't think that's valid. So the second thing is that hallway conversations are priceless. So this is the this is what I call the – actually, I think this is – oh, I, I want to be able to discuss things in secret before springing them on people. Sometimes. This is what I <laughs> interpret number two, what I interpret this thing as. This idea that you can't create true serendipity over instant message. See, it's this obsession with there's only – that you can only have um, – tiny tunnels to communicate with people with that it's only one-on-one it's only instant message uh you know it's only one-on-one conversations like serendipity really so it means some fuck nut decides he's going to rebuild the front end in a different templating system without telling you is that what we're talking about when we talk about serendipity so it talks about it's crazy to think that one discussion can make break or change the path of a company but sometimes those and this is in quotes accidental conversations do turn into some magical idea, approach or direction. Whatever dipshit going to the I, I don't. <sighs> I so so. There's a couple things I'll say. I do think that in some cases this is has has. I I can see where this applies in some cases because I think that there I have certainly had the experiences where when you're face to face with people. Um, uh, you know, I find this particularly at conferences or you're, you know, you're actually all in the same place, like where we've had meetups with the team and stuff like that, that certain aspects of that go faster and they're sort of like uh, more that kind of conversation. I, I don't know. See, the hallway conversation sounds weird and I, I didn't take it as much as I think, but I can see your point where you're going with this or where you sort of took it from was the idea that you're almost having sort of like private conversations with people like you have a one or two you know, discussion with a guy. Again, I think this gets a lot back to, I think fundamentally there's the thing here is I think this is the kind of guy who's used to working in an office and working face to face with people. And then he's having difficulty. It's, it comes across to me is that it's, he's having difficulty then integrating with people who are remote. I have felt like when you spend every day, in the same situation with that same group of people in group chats, not on I am. Um, right. Uh, and you do daily or multiple weekly uh, stand-up meetings. I don't find that appreciably more challenging yeah. than at times I, I've spent plenty of time working in offices, you know, 10 plus years working in offices. And I did not feel like I had more spontaneity in an office than not. I, I mean, can I imagine situation? Yeah, but I, I think it comes down a lot to the people you've got, and um, it, you al- know. it almost sounds like, and it sounds to me like really the critical decision to be made when you're when you go with a remote team uh, is that you have to early on decide on a really high bandwidth way of everybody to talk to each other because yeah. it's such a. Di- I think this guy's being hypocritical in this particular point because he's like. Uh, the the random the random conversations are good, but somehow the ability to have random in person conversation makes everyone feel like they're part of the process and the company. That seems like so. If I can't have a random face to face conversation with a coworker, I'm going to feel disconnected. I think that I think the real thing is that you're hiring the wrong people if they absolutely have to be able to talk to each other. And so let, let's keep going because yeah. I think the real points get made down below. Yeah. So passion in person is contagious. And this is the one I'm like, by passion mean that convince people to work for free um, via overtime is how I interpret this one. Cause he talks about, Oh, on, on uh, what does it say here? Oh yeah. Also in person passion helps to create a social pressure that makes people work better. If the person next to you is working late, it's much easier to ignore if you can't physically see staying in the office oh so this gets down to the real thing oh if everybody's not in the same place i can't give them the bullshit speech about remember your equity remember your position remember what we're trying to do and that's why you're working late while i play minesweeper i think this is complete horseshit and this is where i really i had i became became extremely cynical uh, for you know with this because the idea i I think it's far too often that people start talking about things like passion and commitment and stuff. You know what you should be passionate about? You should be passionate about your friends, 
and your family and the people you choose to surround yourself with and not some kind of uh, cockamamie idea about I'm going to change the world because I made some kind of web app that, you know, lets me send Pictionary shit to my, a friend of mine or some horse shit like that. And it's certainly, it's certainly, no matter, I mean, unless you're fucking curing cancer or solving the Nazi fucking <laughs> encryption code, it is, there is no justification for you spending 60 or 70 or 80 hours or more a week uh, putting aside your mental and physical health for some bullshit idea that some sucker came up with. I'm sorry, but I don't buy that. And this is the same kind of horseshit where people who would tell you that, oh, they're in this business to change the world or some bullshit like that. You know what you should yeah, be thinking they, about? Then they should give their equity to charity if they're in it to uh, change the world. You know, I, I'm sorry, but that is fucking horseshit. And uh, yeah, I can think of a few scenarios where it actually does add up. The vast majority of people who try to tell you that stuff are trying to trick you into giving of your time far too freely to indulge their interests and to make them rich. So fuck that's right, kids. That that's right. You remember that when you work all this time, you have to decide: Are you working to make somebody else rich, or are you working to make your own life better? And that's really, I think, that boils down to. Okay, so next point. Yeah. So then, point number four is keeping people in the loop becomes extra work, right? The the person who is out of the office may have an amazing perspective, but it is difficult to get that voice transmitted via phone or IM. Oh, I call bullshit on that for sure. Good ideas are good ideas no matter what medium they're expressed in, especially when you're talking about working with technology-based people. You're telling yeah. me that, that I can't via IRC or Campfire uh, or via text channel, a group text channel, I can't communicate. See, this comes down to communication. This is like if you aren't willing to put effort into communicating ideas to people, then I don't think it matters whether you're working in an office setting where everybody's there or you're working remotely. If you cannot tell the people that you are working with, if you cannot explain your idea to somebody uh, via voice or text, then maybe that idea doesn't have enough merit. Yeah, I think that, I, I guess I'd say that there are, some folks who do a better job of expressing themselves in these kinds of situations than others. So to some extent, I kind of understand that to another extent though, I guess that goes back to what kind of people do you hire? Yeah, do, I mean, they this, fit, do they fit yeah. in with the culture that you want to have? Uh, yeah. And this thing here says to on top of that, it's hard to keep the people who aren't at the nexus feeling like they make an impact. No, no. See, that's not my job. It's not my job to, to feel important. It's whoever's running this whole thing to make sure that everybody is included. So much of this stuff seems to be the manager saying, well, it's not my fault that Poindexter is remote. It's not my fault that Poindexter is feeling like he's not included in the team. You know, no, no, correction. It is your fault. It is your fault. It's the whole team's fault that they haven't been working as hard as they can to make the people who, for whatever reason, have chosen to work for you but can't work in the office with you for whatever reason, geographic, right. cultural, um, you know, maybe you're under house arrest and you can't leave your house. But it's like it's not my job to push and complain to be included. It's like you should be accommodating to what I need as well because I'm already right. going to be put out by not being there that I have to work hard to make sure I communicate my ideas properly. So you're basically saying I don't want to put so much effort into communicating. Well, and I think this gets back to a lot of the language he's using here I think clearly indicates that the scenario he's imagining is having a group of people who are all face-to-face -face and then having some people who are remote. I think that I'm not saying that's impossible. I think that does get harder. I think because it's really easy to only pay attention to the people who are in your face. And I don't necessarily, you know, I think that that's a problem of how you choose to structure your company. And I think that if it's, you're not capable of doing that, if you're not capable of keeping the remote folks that you've got in the loop, as well as the people who are local, then you should admit you're uh, failing in that area, and if you don't want to hire them, that's fine. But I think it's complete horseshit to say that it that this now somehow makes a remote a remote workforce bad for startups. It makes it bad for this guy who isn't capable of doing it. Agreed. All right. So then the next thing that I really think gets down down to what he says: 
Company culture is the key. And this Ugh. we can actually agree on, but for completely different reasons. You know, he when said, I when I read this, all yeah. I imagined was that a bunch of uh, folks, like a bunch of red Chinese in jumpsuits all doing exercises <laughs> out on a courtyard, <laughs> right? That is exactly what I imagine. Uh, because, you know, call it whatever you want to, that's the kind of stuff they're talking about. You know, um, for the most part, is they want everybody else, everybody to kind of act the same way and have the same kind of passion about it. That kind of passion that uh, makes you give more of a shit about what this guy uh, wants to uh, accomplish with his life than what you want to accomplish with your life. Uh, and, and, you know, the other people who should be mattering in your life uh, know instead hey, let's give them free beer on Fridays so that they work 80 hours a week or some bullshit yeah, like that. Yeah, so I think they're absolutely right when computer, when they say company culture matters because what it means is that if your company is not committed to treating every worker equally, then you have a problem with your company culture. Right. Um, it's hard to live and breathe something if you aren't actually breathing the same air. Well, you know, the kind of culture that I want allows people to uh, be their own person and to live their own lives and to have a balanced, enjoyable, and rewarding life, which work is a part of, but by no means the most important thing in it. Yeah, because it's just that whole, the subtle phrasing that the startup means you have to live and breathe the startup. And it's like, mm, maybe if you're 20 years old and you don't have a family uh, and a mortgage and all the other stuff, it's really easy to, to say, oh, no, no worries, bro. I can stay till 8 o'clock to fix this. But at some point, yeah, it doesn't outweigh it. Yeah, it, I it think does, it doesn't. Uh, again, it, it, like the passion stuff he talked about, a lot of this has to, it, what it has to do with is how do I get people to uh, do what I want them to do? How right. do I trick them into thinking that my that that what I want to uh, you know accomplish that what my goals are are what their goals should be that I that they should be working extra hard for me to accomplish what I want. And that's really the vibe I get out of this article, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and, let's, and let's be clear. I'm not criticizing those who chose uh, to work hard because I will, I will say, and I can back this up, and I'll tell anybody that whoever I work for, I work as hard as I can on the problems that have been assigned to me to try to figure out solutions to. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not killing myself for you. I'm killing myself and working hard because I choose to work hard because I find the problems challenging to solve. But the instant you start trying to convince me that what you want is what I want to, that's when, that's when you're going to lose me. Right. Yeah. All right. So then the next thing, point number six on here is the thing, uh, point number six is one that uh, I sort of agree with that whiteboards work in real time and space. And I agree, but I disagree because my experience has been, there are lots and lots of tools that let groups of people, uh, get together online and one person has control of a screen and they can draw stuff and everyone can talk in real time about what they're seeing and make suggestions. So I, whiteboards are good, but if you're saying to me, you can only sketch things when people are in office, I'll say you're a, you're an MBA dipshit who I don't want to work for. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really a hundred percent buy that. I think that it's, there aren't a lot of, I think that the solutions that are out there are, often not as good as it would be to have everybody in the same oh, room I, to be able to no, go over I know, that. But, but yeah. what I'm saying, you can use tools like GoToMeeting and right. JoinMe and other things like where one person can say, hey, buddy, I'm sharing my screen. My current boss at Kaplan does this all the time, draws awesome informative diagrams over JoinMe, and I can see um, – I have to sneeze. Hold on. All right. <laughs> wow. That's going in the podcast. <laughs> I got to stop doing Coke while we're um, recording. So hey, Come on, son. <clears throat> That's right. I got to save that for afterwards when the strippers show up. Yes. Um, so it is possible to do uh, effective diagramming and get feedback in real time. So the whiteboard things, like no, just we can skip that one because I don't believe in that. But here's the last one. The last one is the one that I really think is the one that's the most ironic. Mm -hmm. Miscommunication causes too many problems. I this guy really wants to convince people that um, when you have remote workers, the communication is worse than when everybody's in the same place. Uh, Dude, having worked, having spent seven and a half hours in meetings today at Kaplan while we're trying to plan <laughs> plan the next sprint, I can say to you that miscommunication can happen between people sitting twelve inches from each other. So yeah. this idea that somehow that good com in person communication good, remote people communication bad, 
to to use your most uh, repeated phrase uh, today, horseshit. Absolutely yeah, horseshit. I, I look. Some people are better at it than others, right? And maybe he's not good at it, and that's why he has problems with those kinds of things. I'm not saying it's not challenging. It's not, and if you're not used to it, that it's not, uh, you know, sometimes difficult to learn it. That there's a learning process for how you do this kind of stuff. But I, I just don't. I don't know. You know, I just, I just don't really buy this. Um, I, I think that I would never uh, suggest that somebody should, if they really want an effective uh, group of people. Uh, and uh, ha- you know that they should never they never have to interact with each other face to face i think that there's a lot of um i i guess you'd say uh communication building and understandings and stuff like that you, that you can get that you can do and you, it really helps to do those things to have face to face meetings but yes, i don't necess- no, I, I, yeah. I don't necessarily think that I guess there's a couple things I'll say. I don't necessarily think that means that you have to always be face-to-face. I think that you could do... I, I think that there are many companies who've had a lot of success doing, say, quarterly things. Um, I think Mozilla does something like that. Now, Mozilla is not a startup, right? Um, but I would uh, I would say that my experience has been that with smart people who are pretty good at communicating and are self-disciplined um you can uh absolutely do all of this remotely um if you know now maybe you have more trouble with uh you know kids who are just out of college who are maybe more likely to uh work 80 or 90 hours a week like you want them to on whatever your cockamamie idea is and um you know, and pay them uh, a barely living wage in the uh, Silicon Valley. I don't, you know, that that may be the case. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, I would, I, I, I wish that it, I was closer to a lot of the folks um, to at least be able to see them, you know, the, the folks who I work with, to be able to see them more often. I might not be able to, I might not feel like I needed to do it every day, maybe once a week or once a, once a month or something like that. But one of the other things that I think this completely ignores is the fact that, um, and I think Sean summed this up really well, Sean Coates. Um, you know what? I'm going to find what he said because he, he just put it really well, and I want to quote him exactly. Uh, so I'm loading up Twitter. Score some brownie points with the boss is always good. He is not my boss. You're not the boss of me, Coates. No, he's not. He's not my boss. Like he likes to. He likes to act like it. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, but, Cannon Finkler. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, so you know, he said he was like, "Well, there's some good points here, but it doesn't account for the fact that sometimes, quote, amazing people, unquote, uh, can't can't," he emphasizes, "all be in the same location." Um, then he kind of follows up. People seem to be missing my point. Face-to-face is better when it's possible, but remote is way better than impossible because of geography. And I think his point is that, um, yeah, the, it's, it is good to have those, those, uh, he kind of talked about accidental conversations, the way, you know, the way that Billy Sean puts it and, you know, not necessarily hallway where you're sort of off in your own channel, but but kind of having those conversations, a lot. Some of that stuff does happen faster face to face, and sometimes you're able to get that across faster. You know, that's great, and I I tend to agree with that. It's the same kind of thing I find. You know, you often find, like I said, when I go to a conference, you kind of feel invigorated because you've been able to. You get sort of like this rush of every, you know, all the people around you are talking about cool stuff. But I think it also one of the things is that generally you're around not just all the people are talking about development crap, but you're also around really smart, good, accomplished, you know strong, uh, intelligent, cool people. And the fact is that the reason why you only see them at conferences every, you know, if you're lucky once or twice a year is because there aren't that many of them and they generally don't all live in the same place. That's right. So if you want to work with those people, um, there's a, a good chance that you're going to have to uh consider you know uh, having a remote relationship so it's uh 
uh, remote working relationship, let me say. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, right. Word. Because, you know, it's like I said, it's like, well, if my options are I don't work with this guy or all, at all, or I work within the parameters of a, of a remote setup, I would much rather be under the parameters of a remote setup, right? You know, and that allows you to get people and to work with people he wouldn't normally. So, so I, I think the sum- yeah. so I think to summarize, I think I can say that it seems to me that the author of this article seems to think that the way that people communicate remotely is just via instant message, and maybe that's been his experience. But yeah. I can tell you that all these years I've worked remotely, instant message is not how you effectively communicate. The effective way to communicate is group chat. Group chat backed with phone calls, with Skype, uh, yeah. group chats on Skype, all those stuff. At Kaplan, we use this thing called TeamSpeak, which is comes out of the gaming uh, online gaming communities. So it has text back with the ability to talk to people as well. So I so, actually so. am. So I am able to actually talk to my uh, talk to the coworkers who I'm not remote. I'm not remote with, and so yeah, right. I can talk to them. So I know what they sound like, and definitely because you're talking, you can get across sarcasm. Excuse me, sarcasm, um, anger, all the gamut of emotions that I love to rush through when when describing stuff. So this idea right. that oh, I have to be in person so I can see body language. It was funny. My my uh, my boss was saying in another meeting, uh, saying yesterday that at one point he kind of wished that when we were discussing something that he ha- had cameras on everybody. Right. So he was saying so I could see Chris's reaction when I was talking about something. Yeah. And I said, "Don't worry, I had you on mute and I was rolling my eyes over here." <laughs> so, but, but yeah, but, but, the, but the whole thing was like, yeah, you, uh, I said me. Uh, Perhaps my problem with some of this too is that I'm making the mistake that I try to teach other people not to make, where to where to not try to try and not assume that everyone else out there is like you. And so, because I'm able, because I have the experience working remotely, able to communicate through text and through verbal, that I don't need body language cues to right. to try and determine if somebody likes my idea or not. And so, again, that's a you're, you've I think you hit on hit on the actual the the secret sauce that made this work you hire smart people who are self-disciplined and know how to communicate and you can get some redonkulous things done and it doesn't matter that you're all in the same place or whether you all happen to be uh distributed geographically right right yeah hire smart people who can communicate and it doesn't matter whether they're in the office or they're uh two thousand miles away yeah yeah i you let you know I, I really do think it's good if you can, you know, to get together, and I think it helps. Oh, I, I agree, too, that the occasional get-togethers are good. I believe that those do have value because mm-hmm. they do, despite my disliking of that term at times, team building actually is important. And when you're making – if you set up your company's flow in such a way that you do get together once a quarter or on a regular basis to um, to decide difficult things, not just do regular work because – I, I will be honest, the idea of constantly flying into lacrosse just to do regular work has zero appeal, and that's not and that's yeah. not why I signed up to work remotely. Right. But the idea that we will when we have when there are important decisions to be made, important systems to be architected, that yes, get the people in one room because that those initial discussions uh, will have everybody on the same page, and then we can all then go back to where we do our normal work for work from and keep going. So yes. Please don't – people listening, don't interpret this as Chris saying uh, he is antisocial and never wants to get together face-to-face. I love getting together with my coworkers and having having uh, meals and drinks and discussing things because those are all important because that lets you be something more than just a coder. It lets you become a fucking person and yeah. lets you know your other coworkers that you are a person who knows actually how to do things outside of work because to me nothing is sadder and maybe some people won't like this nothing is sadder than the person who lives breathes and eats coding you need to do something other than fucking write computer programs yeah i tend really tend to agree with that it helps a lot just like walk outside every once in a while i think it's a good idea (laughs) like i think people are actually surprised when i tell them that like when i'm here in lacrosse i go down to the gym and i work out i do a mile and a half on a treadmill so yeah uh, yeah, people are surprised to hear that. People are surprised to hear that I play slow pitch baseball. It's like, yeah, what you think I'm just I just code eighteen hours a day and then crash into my bed? No, man. No, that, no. and that shit lots of it's lots of fun. So I, uh, it is. You know, 
Um, All right. So, yeah. the, so we have two other things that we wanted to talk about. There's still on the list. How are we doing for time, Ed? You want, well, you we're kind of going over, but I think at least you want, to save, you want to talk about one of these two things, or you want to save that for next time? You know what? Let's save it for next time. Let's do it next. Maybe we could do it next week. Um, yeah, let's do that. All right. So here we are at the end, episode ten Dude. of the Hell. Once again, thanks everybody for listening, and thanks again to our awesome sponsor, yeah, Engine Yard. Engine Yard. Engine Yard. Awesome, awesome platform as a service. If you're into Ruby, they got you covered. If you're into PHP, they uh, threw uh, buckets, they threw bricks of uh, $1 bills at the uh, folks from orchestra.io and brought them into the engineer family. So if you have a PHP app, you have an idea, you want to get your idea up into the cloud via a nice uh, self-scaling solution. Throw your shit into an orchestra container, and up it goes into Engineer's infrastructure, and you can have a nice, scalable PHP application. You got it. So as always, you can uh, find us online at uh, um, devhell.info. You can find us on Twitter at uh, dev underscore hell. Uh, as always, you can find me, Chris Arches, as the Grumpy Programmer without a U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with a U. Thanks for listening. Oh, and before I forget, I also I forgot to announce this before. Oh. But we threw some money at Lone Star PHP to be um, a community sponsor. Yeah. If you have, a, if you have a podcast, if you have an open source project, you have anything that you want to promote, uh, contact the awesome folks at Lone Star PHP and agree to be a community sponsor because every little bit of money helps. If you look at the lineup for Lone Star PHP, dude, it is an awesome conference. I cannot believe the speakers that they've got. When I was looking to see who I was up against for some of, some of my talks. This is like a high – for the amount of money that they're charging for Lone Star PHP, you would be stupid to not try and figure out a way to get down to Dallas if you're in the southern part of the United States. Yeah, awesome, I awesome uh, really want to go to that. It's, it's a shame that you can't go, Ed, but I will be there yeah. representing um, um, representing the podcast. Yeah, you'll throw your set up. I'll throw, my, I'll throw my shit up there. So as always, thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon. See you.